0: Well, good morning. We have finished Acts. We are still journeying through the New Testament. We I do plan on finishing, just like the Old Testament. We had to skip a lot of books in the New Testament. We're also going to have to skip a lot of books. Um, but I I decided to do Galatians today, and I really, really wanted to read the entire book of Galatians to you today. Um, but my my logo software told me that that was going to be entirely too long. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I I, I create my sermons um, in a software called Logos. And uh, while I'm typing them and I'm and creating slides, because I can add the slides in while I'm making the sermon, while I'm doing that, it has a little thing at the top right that says minutes. It's supposed to tell me how many minutes the sermon will take. <laughs> oh. So um, it's not at all accurate. <coughs> I'm going to blame it on the software, not me. Uh, if it says it's going to take 30 minutes, I have found it takes me an hour to uh, preach that sermon. Um, so I try to shoot for 15. Uh, needless to say, today's sermon said it was going to be 30. So I will be speaking quickly. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best. But Galatians is such a good book, and I would encourage you if you have a chance just to in your free time just pick it up and just read it and study it. Um, but today is called a different gospel. Um, Paul is, he, well, I should give you a heads up, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he is upset with the Galatians. I don't know if you notice this, um, many of the New Testament books, Paul is upset to the churches he's writing to. Hence, that's why he's having to write the letter to the church um, to correct them in some things that they have done wrong. But he always tries to make sure that he does encourage them and he does give them hope in the process of um, rebuking them and telling them how they, where they need to change and what they got wrong. Um, but uh, Galatians, he, uh, he is, the, pretty much the entire book is, a, he's addressing the fact that they have abandoned the gospel that he preached to them, and they have now embraced a new gospel. Um, I call it a new gospel. It's not really a new gospel. What they did is he preached to them forgiveness through faith in Jesus and there were, in the day, there were many um, Jews who believed faith in Jesus was not enough, and therefore, yes, you're saved by faith in Jesus, but you also have to make sure that you carefully observe the Mosaic Law, because if you don't observe the Mosaic Law to the T, then what's going to happen is your faith will not be enough to save you on that day. It's, you have, you, you, faith is required, but you must observe the mosaic law you must become jewish you must follow all the all the laws given through the through the mosaic covenant and paul preached simply that that is not true and so he writes the book of galatians to correct them on this so with that being summed up let's let's open up in prayer <clears throat> father we love you and father we thank you father we thank you you've given us this word father i know it sounds strange but i thank you that many of the new christians during the New Testament times when the church was first being created, I thank you that they got it wrong and that they messed up and that it was required of Paul to write to them and correct them because we need these corrections. We need these writings. We need to study these things so that we don't make the same mistakes. And you you told us in your scripture that everything that was written in the past, all of the scripture was written for our instruction and to give us a hope. And so, Father, we thank you that your, your scripture does give us hope, and we thank you that it is for our instruction and that we are to learn from it. Father, please guide us during this, this time together as the body of Christ, and that we would understand your word um, fully, and that we would live by it carefully. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. Galatians 1, 1 through 10, the opening of Galatians says this, Paul an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him, Who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel? Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel, say that with me, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For for am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. Paul was persecuted severely for his teachings about Christ and his fulfillment of the law. And if he were trying to be a people pleaser, if he were trying to avoid all those persecutions, he would not be going around preaching Christ and, and faith in, in Jesus Christ for salvation. But remember, I asked you to say that phrase with me. Paul said, even if I or an angel were, or were to preach to you from heaven, were to preach to you a message different than what you've already received, a curse be on him. We know of two very, very famous accounts of people who have distorted and written a new gospel based on accounts with a supposed angel from heaven. Uh, One is Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said that he had a vision. He encountered an angel named Moroni. Moroni was a guardian of gold tablets, and these gold tablets were written in ancient Egyptian hieroglyph. And he showed Joseph Smith where these tablets were, and he he helped Joseph Smith translate these golden tablets, which had the true undistorted gospel, according to Moroni, where we as the church had distorted it through the centuries. And so now they take the Bible, but they also add to it the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is what he says is what... Written from the golden tablets that the angel Moroni brought to him that different gospel. Um, But what did Paul say? Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven were to bring to you a different gospel, a curse be on him. And we, we now have found many, many thousands of ancient manuscripts, not just new manuscripts... We have found ancient manuscripts that date all the way back to the 1st and 2nd century that do affirm that the Gospels we have today are still, in fact, the same Gospels that were written 2,000 years ago. Um, and so we do, we do not accept the Book of Mormon, and we do not accept that it is, has any truth from God. Who's somebody else you may know of or you may not know? Interesting fact. The prophet Muhammad. Muhammad had a vision from an angel, Jibril, in English, Gabriel. So he had a vision from the archangel Gabriel, and the archangel Gabriel gave him all this information and told him to read it. And and Muhammad said, I can't read. And so he spoke it to him, and he took the information that the angel Gabriel had given him, and he used that to start and create the book of the Quran. Well, he used it to teach. Um, and then, over the next 200 years, the book of the Quran was compiled and put together. So, the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad and the Quran come from a revelation of a vision from an angel that was contrary and different to the gospel that we already have received from Paul and the New Testament authors. So, we do not accept the Quran or any of its teachings as from God. A different gospel would be of different. Way of salvation, sim- I mean, simply put. What is a different gospel? A different gospel is just a different way to be saved than the gospel that we're given, the good news of how to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it's a different means by which a person is justified before God. Paul preached that we are justified in God's sight through our faith, not through obeying the law God gave through Moses. The, the Galatians were convinced by someone that faith in Jesus was not enough, that you must also follow the law of Moses. In other words, Gentiles must place their faith in Jesus, but if they don't also follow the, follow the Mosaic law, then they will not be justified according to God and therefore not saved. So faith was the way they became part of the family of God, but careful following, carefully following the law was how they stayed in the family of God. Paul clearly condemned This line of thinking and teaching. Galatians 2 15 to 21, he said, We are Jews. Paul was a Jew, by the way. He said, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. This is how the Jews viewed the Gentiles. They viewed them as Gentile sinners who were lost and and, uh, no hope of salvation. Paul said, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus, meaning a Jew who has faithfully followed the law his entire life, Paul did. He was trained and raised up as a Pharisee of Pharisees, carefully observed the law. Paul said, I myself have placed my faith in Jesus Christ because I know that's the only way to be saved as a Jew. The only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because, can y'all see this? I know it's a little bit smaller than my other slides. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Why is that? Let me, let me finish these verses out and then we'll get to it. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. You ready? For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He said, as a Jew who has followed the law my whole life, if I could be made right with God through obeying the law, then Christ died for nothing. There's no reason why Christ should have come and died. If we already had a way of salvation, if we already could be completely atoned for of our sins, there's no reason Christ should have left his throne and come down and died for us. He died for nothing. You cannot be made right before God through obedience to the Mosaic law. Why? Because the minute you break a single law, you're found guilty by the law not innocent. It's the same with any laws. We have American laws, okay? Our laws are not as stringent as God's laws. Our laws cannot make me innocent, but they can make me guilty. You say, well, they can make you innocent if you don't break any. Well, see, that's the the key. See, God said, all have sinned, all. God said there are no one, no human has ever walked this earth who didn't break his law. Therefore, because, that's the key, because all have sinned, the law cannot justify anyone. It only holds them guilty. Because they stand guilty from breaking the law, the law only says you're guilty. It can't say you're innocent. And that's why you can't be made righteous by the law. You would have to be perfect and there's only been one person who's ever lived that was perfect and that was Jesus Christ. Everyone else cannot be justified by the law. Only Jesus Christ can. <clears throat> Galatians 3:10 through 12 says for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. You you can't tell. Oh yeah 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 you can. Can y'all tell? It's slight. It's not very obvious. But can y'all see that everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed? You see that's bold. Every time you look up here and you see the scripture in bold, what that means is it's a direct quotation of the Old Testament. So Paul's not just making this stuff up out of thin air. He's quoting directly the Old Testament what God said to show what he's trying to teach. God said, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. That's what the scripture says. The one who does everything written in the law will live by them, will not be found guilty. But the problem is no one ever except Jesus Christ alone has been able to do everything written in the law without breaking it. Notice, I'm going to back up. Notice he said, for all who rely on the works of the law. That's the key. Paul is saying for those who think, who are counting on their obedience to the Mosaic law, everyone who's counting on their obedience to the law, they're relying on that for their salvation. They are without hope. Because if you're counting on you being good enough, you're going to find yourself disappointed and guilty at the end of the day. Those who rely on and count on them carefully following the Mosaic law, they're the ones who are going to find themselves guilty? What should we do instead of count, basing our salvation on our obedience to the law? We have to base our salvation on faith on Jesus' obedience to the law. Faith of Him stepping in our place because we need Him to step in our place because we broke the law. <clears throat> this next section, Paul, or well, those who after accepting the grace of God through faith in Jesus, then try to observe the law in order to stay right with God, Paul says those who do that actually separate themselves from Christ. Now, Paul is very, very adamant and very blunt about if you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not then to then try to follow the Mosaic law to remain saved or to be justified before God. He's very adamant about it. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to explain a little bit more of that as we go further. He says this in Galatians five, one and two for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what he means by that yoke of slavery is that being under the law, having all that weight and all that burden of everything that you must do and must follow to be right. he said, Christ freed us from all that. We are free. We live free now. We don't live under that burden and that yoke of slavery anymore. Take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. I mean, he's just straight to the point. Now, throughout the whole letter, Paul focuses mainly on circumcision. Why do you think that is? Because circumcision was the sign of entering into the Mosaic covenant. See, God established a Mosaic covenant, a relationship between you and me. But Christ, remember what He said at the Last Supper when He talked about the breaking of the bread and, and giving the wine, drinking the, from the wine. He said, "This is the blood of the This is the new covenant in my blood." jesus said jesus established a new covenant circumcision is the sign of entering into the old mosaic covenant and now we have post christ christians they didn't call themselves christians but that's what they were christians who are now entering into a new covenant with christ and then they have been taught but you still have to enter into the old mosaic covenant and follow it too and paul said that's not true That's not true. And so if you go through the trouble of getting circumcised and entering into that Mosaic covenant and start to follow all the requirements of that Mosaic covenant, you are separating yourself from the new covenant that you have in Christ. He says, Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Notice he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law. Those who are trying to find their justification before God by entering into the Mosaic Covenant and following the law and submitting themselves to the Mosaic Law, what he's saying is, When you enter into that covenant, you are entering into a covenant saying that you are going to be perfect, that you are going to follow everything written in the law, and you are not going to break any of the law. That's what decision you're choosing to make, and you will break the law. You will not be found perfect. And he said, what you do is you're abandoning the new covenant that Jesus established through grace and mercy and forgiveness through faith in him. And you're trying to enter into an old covenant based on obedience to all the different laws that are handed down through Moses. Galatians 5, 5, For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You are running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make. Every town I go to, who is it that's trying to kill me? He's The Jews. He's every town Paul goes to is the Jews who are trying to kill him. There are a couple of exceptions. But, but for the majority of him going around and preaching... That's the majority of the people that are trying to to kill him. He said, why are they trying to kill me? Because I'm preaching a message that we are free from the obedience to the Mosaic law. That's the message I'm preaching. And guess what? All the Jewish leaders in the towns that I go to hate me for it, and they are trying to kill me. So he says, if I still preach circumcision, which means, Paul's saying, if I still preach, you have to follow everything in the law, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the fence of the cross has been abolished. He said, I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. And if you don't know what that means, you can ask me after the service. But Paul's point is clear. If you continue to try to justify yourself before God through carefully following the law, you do two things. One You fail to justify yourself because once you sin one time, you're guilty. So that's the first thing you do. You you fail. You do two things. First, you fail. By trying to carefully observe the law, you end up sinning, you end up breaking the law, and then you're found guilty. But here's the second. What you're doing is you're rejecting the sacrifice of Christ. And that's what's so important about this. Because by following the law and finding yourself guilty, You then perform your own sacrifices in order to be made right with God. Remember all the law, the sacrificial laws in in, in the Mosaic law? If you do this sin, if you do this sin, if you do this sin, you have to bring and sacrifice a goat. You have to sacrifice a ram. You have to sacrifice, if you're poor, it's turtle doves, pigeons, you know, that you have to give grain offerings. You have to do all these sacrifices when you sin. And so this is what the people are doing in the New Testament. The Galatians have come to faith, come come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But then there are some people who came in and said, no, 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 you can't just just have faith you also have to follow carefully the mosaic law but here's what happens when they started to do that if they sinned what were they required by the mosaic law to do they had to perform sacrifices right and they were saying you must do these sacrifices so in essence what they were doing is they were rejecting god's sacrifice of his own son jesus a once in all sacrifice that actually atoned for their sins they said that's not sufficient Christ's sacrifice on the cross, not sufficient. You must follow the Mosaic law. You must sacrifice this ram. You must sacrifice this goat. You must sacrifice this lamb. So the two things you're doing, one, you're trying to follow an impossible-to-follow law, and two, you're rejecting Christ's salvation. You're rejecting the sacrifice of Christ. That's why it's so serious. That's why Paul is writing and rebuking, and he he obviously, as you can tell from the Scripture, he's very, very heated. He's very upset about this. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's what the Scripture teaches us. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what they have done is they have taken the only sufficient sacrifice that God himself performed on his own son and they're saying that's not sufficient and then they're taking useless sacrifices that don't atone for their sins and they're saying I must do this, I must do this to be right. The Old Testament saints were not justified by the law. The Old Testament saints, those who lived under the Mosaic covenant, were not justified by the Mosaic law. They were still justified by faith just as we are today. That's why our New Testament writers talk about Abraham, how Abraham was saved by faith before he was circumcised. That's what, that's what Paul teaches us. They faithfully followed the law because God told them to. I mean, is that, can we start there? Why did they follow the law? Because God told them to. For one, that's where we start. God gave them the law not to provide a way for them to be saved apart from Christ, but to point them forward to Christ. He taught them that only the death of the innocent can atone for the death of the guilty, but it must be voluntary. In other words, if you're guilty and deserve the death penalty, you can't then take the place of somebody else who's guilty and deserves the death penalty. You both deserve the death penalty. It must take someone who doesn't deserve the death penalty to be able to step into your place so that you can be let go. But you can't force people to take your place. You can't go kidnap somebody and bring them and say, well, they're innocent, but I'm going to kill them so I can be free. It doesn't work that way. It takes someone willingly who loves you, who is not guilty to say, I'm willing to step into your place. I'm willing to die the death you deserve to die in order to let you go because I love you. And that's only happened one time in all of history. And that was when Jesus, whose love for us was so great, he being innocent, who followed the law perfectly and did not deserve to die, willingly chose to submit himself to death to die in our place so that we could be set free. It's the only example in history. He taught them, he was pointing them toward a sacrifice that would be sufficient one day. It was going to be his own sacrifice of his own perfect son. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, according to the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And take note of this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So God showed them there must be a sacrifice. Something must die that didn't deserve to die in order to take your place and atone for your sins. God's showing them this through the Mosaic Law but they're having to keep perform sacrifices, keep perform sacrifices, keep perform sacrifices because the sacrifices they were making were not sufficient. The blood of the bulls and goats were not sufficient to actually atone for their sin. He gave them the Mosaic law to point towards Christ and to act as a guardian. Galatians 3, 19, 26, Paul said this, Why then was the law given? Here it is. Why was the law given? it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come being jesus the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator now a mediator is not just for one person alone but god is one is the law therefore contrary to god's promises of salvation through faith is what he's implying is is, is god giving us the law contrary to what he already taught us was that we're saved through faith through abraham absolutely not For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law, meaning Jesus would not have come and died for our sins. We would still have the law today, and that's the only means by which we could be saved if it had the ability to make us right before God. But the Scriptures imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, We were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. What was it? It was our what? Guardian until Christ. So that we could be justified by faith, meaning until Christ, so that then we could be justified through faith in Christ. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. The law was given to the Jewish people as a guardian until Christ came. What is a guardian and what do they do? They protect someone under their care from those who would want to harm them outside and from them harming each other and themselves, right? So if you're a guardian of two kids— You are to protect them from outsiders coming in and harming them. You are to protect them from harming each other, and you are to protect them from harming themselves. That's what a guardian does. A guardian is a wise person. The law was given to the Jewish people as a wise protector from outsiders and from themselves. It watched over them. It kept them safe. It showed them what they must do and what they must not do. It guided them and trained them and raised them up to be godly men and women. Did it not do all these things? That's exactly what it did. But it could not clear them of their guilt. Just as a guardian who is in charge of protecting those under them, if they were to commit a crime, the guardian cannot clear them of their guilt. It showed them that a sacrifice would have to be made in order for them to be forgiven, but it could not provide that sacrifice for them. And so Paul pleaded with the Galatians not to submit themselves again under that old guardian, the law, but to live in the freedom that Christ provided through a sacrifice and be free. But freedom from the Mosaic law, and this is really important, freedom from the Mosaic law does not mean freedom from God's moral law. You see that? This is where many people today go astray, and many in the first century church as well. It has been a problem since the very beginning, because we carry sinful flesh, and our flesh looks for any excuse and any reason to sin. Many see a conflict when you say you no longer have to follow the Mosaic law, but you do still have to obey God's law not to sin. Does anybody, can, can anybody see where that conflict can arise? Where I say, okay, Paul says, you no longer have to follow all the laws given by Moses. If you try to follow them, you're going to separate yourself from Christ. And then and then to turn around and say, oh, but by the way, you know, when, when, when God said through Moses, don't kill and don't steal and don't covet, he still means that. You do have to follow those, but you don't have to follow these. You can see how it can, it can get conflicting. I mean, it can get confusing just from, okay, well, which ones do we follow, which ones we don't. I'm going to try to make sure I clear that up. But the point is, the early church that he's addressing, and many today still always has been that way, we are sinful, and we have sinful flesh. And so when somebody says, we don't have to follow the Mosaic law, we don't have to submit to any of it. Matter of fact, if we try, we're going to cut ourselves off from Christ. Many will say, well, great. That means I can sin and do whatever I want. Because if I try to follow those laws, then I'm going to separate myself from Christ. And I sure don't want to separate myself from Christ. So my best bet, not to try to follow any of the laws, so I'm just going to live however I want to live. I live by the Spirit, not by the law. Spirit tells me what I can and can't do, huh? not God's Word. You, you see how people can, can draw that conclusion? <clears throat> Paul saw no conflict And God saw no conflict, and so we should not either. This is what Paul went on to say. Same book, Galatians. He goes on to say this. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. You ready? Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you look at this list, sexual immorality, moral impurity... Promiscuity. Let's let's get down to selfish ambitions. Anger. How do we know these are sins? Because God said so in his law. Right? Where is Paul reaching to to say that envy is wrong? Commandment number 10, do not covet. Where is that? That's the Mosaic law. Paul is saying, hey, don't try to submit yourself and follow the Mosaic law to be justified or else you're going to separate yourself from Christ. And then in the very same chapter, he goes on to say, oh, but by the way, all these things in the Mosaic law that God said don't do, if you do them, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, Paul didn't see a distinction. Paul didn't see a conflict between saying that you don't follow the Mosaic law to be justified and right before God to be for atonement and saying that God, you must follow the parts of God's Mosaic law that, that tell you what sin is and what holiness is. Because the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Mosaic law, is the exact same God we have in the New Testament today. God does not change. God, the God that we have today is not different from the God back then. So God didn't say, okay, I'm going to give my people the, Mose- the law through Moses. I'm going to give them all these commands and how they need to live because this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what's holy. This is what's immoral. This is what I, I, how I feel and what I think. But then when I sacrifice my son, Jesus, to atone for your sins, why did Jesus have to be sacrificed? Because we sinned. He didn't, in that moment, change and then say, okay, now that Jesus and I had to sacrifice my son because you sinned, now I no longer care if you sin. He didn't do that. God didn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still hates sin. He's still, sin is still the reason Jesus had to die. Sin is still the thing that separates us from him he's saying, don't get circumcised to be right with me. Place your faith in my son to be right with me. Don't go sacrifice bulls and goats to be made right with me because they don't work anyways. I sacrifice my son so that you would be made right with me. But that doesn't mean just ignore all the, the, the things that I've said about what's good and what's evil and, and how to be right. God didn't just care about sin his whole life, and then once he had to kill his own son because of our sin, then not care about sin anymore. And all of us would sit here and say, of course, that makes perfect sense. And so that is what Paul's saying. (laughs) He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. And I think it's, it would be, I mean, it's just kind of an ironic point that he's teaching don't follow the law, don't try to follow the law, don't try to follow the law. And then he says, oh, and by the way, the law is not against these things. That's why they're good. Is it, you see what I'm saying? Paul didn't say abandon everything you know about God that he revealed to us through the law. He said, don't try to find your atonement through obedience to the law. That's why Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians who place their faith in Jesus, that's why they quit celebrating Passover. That's why they quit celebrating the festivals. That's why they quit performing the sacrifices. Because they knew to do so was to be to reject the sacrifice of Christ. But that's also why they always condemned Uh, sin. And they said, we must still be holy for God is holy because God didn't change his mind about sin. And how do we even know what sin is? He told us through the law. I'm going to have to skip, obviously. In the Old Testament, Leviticus eleven forty five, God said, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, so so you must be holy because I am holy. God told the told his people through the Mosaic Law, He said, You must be holy, for I am holy. And then in the New Testament, Peter tells us the same thing, for it is written, and he quotes the old testament, Be holy because I am holy. That did not change. God did not lower his standard of holiness. God did not say, okay, you don't have to be as good as I've always wanted you to be in the past. God didn't say, okay, it's okay to sin against me, the reason my son had to die for your sins. Still today, New Testament, God said, still, you are to be holy for I am holy. And how do we know how to be holy? God told us in the law. He's shown us what's right and wrong, and that has not changed. To know that I am forgiven and made right in the sight of God because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ does not mean that I now can live my life against Christ. He has a plan for this world and he has a plan for my life. And his desire is for me to live in this world the way he did and to fight back against the enemy and deliver people from the bondage of Satan and rescue people from the devastating effects of sin. And it is... Nothing less than a direct rejection of Christ himself to say to him, I want you to save me when I die so that I won't be punished in hell, but I'm not going to turn from sin. I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to devote my life to my own concerns, not yours. I'll see you when I die and when I need something from you. I'll see you when I die and when I need something from you. when you treat God that way, to live your life concerned about yourself and call on God when you need Him, but to ignore Him the remainder of the day and week and month is to treat Him as your servant instead of submitting yourself as a servant to Him. We are His servants. He's not ours. How many times, don't answer out loud please, But just think, how many times have you been upset with God because something happened in your life and you called for him for some request and he didn't come? Or at least you don't think he did. He's not our servant, we're to be his. So ask yourself the same question in reverse. How many times has God called for you and you didn't come? Because that's the only one that matters. He did come for you. He sacrificed his son so that you would never have to live and deal with the things that we have to live and deal with for all of eternity. You only have to deal with them for a short period of time on this earth. And he has, he has given us an eternity that we will never have to deal with any of those things again. He did come. But far too many times, I think, than I'd like to share, have I not came when he called me? And I think that's true for all of us, if we're going to be honest. We have to stop treating God like our servant. And we must start living as His. After warning us not to use God's grace and mercy as an excuse to reject His Son as our Lord through living in sin, He tells us to watch out not only for ourselves, but also for each other. If someone does give in to temptation and sins against God, we're to try and restore that person gently, being careful that we don't get sucked into their sin, but instead help them to repent. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'll read the beginning. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. So if our brother or sister in Christ who has embraced Christ through faith in Christ, if we see them sin, how should we treat them? We shouldn't treat them by throwing a finger at them and condemning them and yelling at them. We should first... Reach out to them gently, the scripture says. I don't know any other way to say gently except gently. That's about as big as my vocabulary really gets. We are to reach out to them, to restore them gently. Being careful that we don't get sucked into the same sin that they're sucked into. But we have to carefully, gently encourage them to what? Not say We're not to encourage them to say, well, you know what? You're not supposed to be following Mosaic law anyway, so it doesn't really matter if you're sinning. No, we're supposed to encourage them to repent, turn from their sin. So you're either saved or you're not. What matters is that you're a new creation by God. I got to skip forward. I I told y'all this was a long sermon. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore if anyone is in Christ He is a new creation The old has passed away And see the new has come He has changed you And he causes you to desire To do his will He gives you the power Through the Holy Spirit To put to death The deeds of the body Because if you live According to the flesh Romans eight thirteen, You are going to die But if by the Spirit You put to death The deeds of the body You will live and then Paul finishes letter out. He says, "Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Paul lost his vision at the end of his life. It got worse and worse i don't I don't know how bad it got before he was eventually killed, but he he got he got to where he couldn't see good. He goes on to talk about those who are trying to change you, trying to get you to he he goes on to say." those who are trying to get you to follow the law and be circumcised, they're only doing this because they're not willing to suffer. They're only doing this to avoid suffering. He said, but Jesus called us, if we're to be his disciple, what are the two things that he says that all of his disciples must do? They must be willing to suffer and they must turn from sin. Those are the two things he's called all of his disciples to be willing to do. But these believers were not willing to suffer. Therefore, they said, no, just get circumcised. Let's just follow the law because we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogues. We don't want the Jewish leaders to be against us. We don't want to be persecuted like Paul and the rest of them. And I'm just asking you today. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer as his servant? Or... Do you just want to not suffer and do you want him to serve you? Because those are two different gospels. Those are two different very ways of reading or honestly ignoring the scriptures. To say that God is to be my servant or to say that I am to be his. And I just want to encourage you. He has done it everything for us. We are right with Him through faith in Him. And that gratitude that we have and that new spirit we have within us, that Holy Spirit of God within us causes us to want to carefully study, yes, the Mosaic Law to see what God hates and what He loves. That way, I can be holy for he is holy and I can run from and flee from what he hates and I can try very hard to do what he loves. Why? To be made right with God? No, I've already been made right with God in order to love him more because I love him as my father. I love him. I love what he's done for me. I love that he's forgiven me. I love that he's given me an eternity. I love that he's made me right. So I want to know what he is against and for so that I can live that way, just like Jesus did. Do you love him? Because that right there is going to determine how you live the rest of your life. Do you love him? Do you love him with all you got? And are you willing to serve him instead of always wanting him to serve you? Let's pray together. Father, we are not worthy of your grace and mercy. We are not worthy of your forgiveness. Honestly, we are not worthy of your love. I don't know why you love us so much, but I am so, so, so grateful that you do. Father, you are not our servant. You never should have been our servant. You, you showed us what it means to serve. You washed your disciples' feet. You laid your life down for us, for what was best for us, not what was best for you. You are the greatest servant of all time, but you should never have had to come to earth to serve anyone. Every creation, every creature should, from the very beginning, have always, without fail, served you. But Father, we thank you for your love. Father, help us. Help us to love you better. Help us to be more faithful. Help us to be more appreciative. Help us to to be more like you, to live our lives the way you would live if you, you were us in our life this day, this time, these places. What would you do? Help us do that. Help us be the men and women that you have designed and have always wanted us to be. Father, we love you, and Father, we can never, ever thank you enough for your love for us. Father, please, please just, just draw us close. Help us know how much you love us, and show us the future you have in store for us so that we will be dedicated to live the will that you have for us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. If you would, please stand and join us for our last song. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope that you uh, take today, if you have something going on today, this week for sure, to uh, be thankful for those that are still in your life. Be thankful for those that God has given more years and given health and given time here. And be thankful for all those that he's given us in the past who are no longer with us. And be thankful that he gave us his son. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything. Father, just just show us every day how much you love us. Help us to study your word and draw close to you and to love you more and more every day and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.